Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Ross Martin and Greg Barnes. Ross and Greg, both on location in Charlotte. And, of course, Carolina advanced. Rory Williams, straight 28th straight opening round win. Uh, can't say the same for Tony Bennett. I still um, am debating whether that's the biggest sports upset in history. But, Ross, I'll go to you since you were in the arena. Uh, Virginia Falls, and not only Falls, gets their butt kicked by UMBC in the first 116 upset. Yeah, it was incredible. I was actually back at the hotel um, watching the game on TV. And, you know, when it got down to about 10 minutes left, we uh, we just left the hotel and put our credential back on and, and ran back down the hotel, back down to the arena. We saw you Virginia fans already leaving the arena, which I was which I found surprising. Um, we got through security, went down to the floor. So it was really cool to be on the floor for that. Um, it, it was nuts. I mean, it's kind of no one could believe it afterwards. We we're just like, oh, my God, we were there for history um, to see a 16 beat a one. You know, obviously, these 16 teams are, are schools that no one had heard of. Tony Bennett dropped the line of uh, – I was in the, the post-game press conference as well. Tony Bennett dropped the line of hyphenated schools. And, you know, he used to uh, play at, I guess, uh, Wisconsin Green Bay. So he kind of knows how these hyphenated schools are overlooked. Um, it was an unreal moment. Cool to be in the arena. Uh, a shock to the ACC. A shock to uh, a team that – you know, many thought was a four favorite, if not the favorite, to cut down the nets before the DeAndre Hunter um, injury. Uh, and yet, you, like you said, UMBC not only beat them, they they were killing them. It was a rout in the last uh, last ten minutes there. Um, and just seeing the size differential of some of their players is incredible. What they did, and uh, it's just kind of speechless, kind of thinking about it. What happened last night? Greg, we talked about it a little bit off the air, but, you know, if you can't play defense, if you can't stay in front of somebody, then it's tough to play defense on a team. UMBC just wore Virginia's pack line defense out. But the the biggest thing, biggest takeaway for me, and this has been the Virginia issue, and it's sort of maybe similar with Georgia Tech football, for example, is they were getting worn out and they did nothing different. Virginia didn't. They walked the ball up. Even with three minutes left, they were running offense. They weren't doing anything to try to come back. I mean, I don't think they gave in. I just think they didn't know anything better to do. Um, But it it was just bizarre to see probably the best Virginia team, at least top three Virginia team of all time, just go out that way. Yeah, for sure. And I think Charles Barkley made a very (laughs) astute point after the game and saying that one of the worst things that probably happened to Virginia was that the game was tied at halftime, 21-21, because that allowed Tony Bennett to not really have to stress at halftime 
to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing, not a problem. And I, I think that's going to be the big criticism. If you look at what hap- has happened to Virginia in, in recent years, they have just really just kind of tanked uh, in the in the postseason, especially NCAA's. And the question is, you know, can this type of philosophy uh, last for six games? Can you win six games in a row against elite level competition in very stressful situations playing this way? Now, Cavalier fans will say, "Hey, we went what thirty one and two in the regular season in the ACC tournament." Uh, but the NCAA tournament is a different ball game. There's a reason that Roy Williams, you really make such a big deal about it. And people kind of have always gotten on him about downplaying the ACC tournament. Well, this is a good example why. I mean, there's a reason Roy Williams is 28-0 in the first round. And I, I just kind of go back to the you know, 2014-2015 seasons for North Carolina. One of the big talking points that we had those years is that North Carolina, when teams slowed them down, they lost. You know, in 2015, they got knocked out against West, Wisconsin in the NCAA tournament in Sweet 16, largely because Wisconsin plays that similar brand of, of basketball. And it really kind of slows you down, gets you out of your comfort zone. And Roy Williams in those years repeatedly said, you have to be able to win at different tempos. It's okay to have a tempo that you prefer, but you have to be uh, versatile. And what has happened the last couple of years UNC figured out how to play against slower teams. And while they hadn't won all those games, uh, they've won a lot of them. And that's kind of been the key for them in this run they've had the last three years. So uh, I think a lot of questions are coming at Tony Bennett about you know, can you be so rigid in how you play without being adaptable? Um, it did not work uh, against the uh, retrievers for sure. And uh, you, that's one thing we tweeted out after the game is 17-1 you know, in the ACC tournament. They win the ACC – I mean, 17-1 ACC regular season. They win the ACC tournament. And yet, no Cavalier fan is going to want to talk about this year at all <laughs> because of what happened in the opening round in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and Greg, the style that Virginia plays is just not conducive to to making comebacks. And, you know, UVA didn't trail much this whole year. Uh, I don't think they were ever really down to UNC in those two matchups. But, you know, down seven, down 11, you know, it's hard to come back because they always wait for the, the best shot and they grind it out on offense and defense. So it takes them a lot longer to, to, to get to put, to, to put together points and to get back. A team like Carolina or a fast-moving team, you know, could score – you know, six to eight points in a minute if they really want to. They can really push the ball and push the pace and get easy baskets. That's not how UVA plays. So to be down like that in the second half is just scary for them. Um, they definitely try to make home run plays. That's what uh, one of the players said on the podium. Um, and they say it was hard to – they had to rely on their offense, but it was hard to do that knowing they were down by so much. So that's the style that got them there backfired uh, when they kind of panicked uh, late here in Charlotte and obviously ended up with the, uh, with, with the upset. And we talked about this last week. We've talked about this ad nauseum for years. And I know, Tommy, you tweeted about this last night. This game is about guards. And if you have a guard that can make plays and gets hot, you can do damage in the NCAA tournament. And Lyles was unbelievable in the second half of that game. I know he was a, a VCU uh, commit transferred uh, to play under Odom. So a very uh, 
fun story there, but he was on fire in the second half and Virginia had no answer. And hit, the way that he got, uh, the way he attacked the pack line uh, was something that coaches are going to study this entire all season because he completely broke that uh, defense down from the inside out in the second half of that game. Yeah, and they were just making shots left. They were just making shots left and right, like it was nuts. They kept making shots. That's what happens with a, when the 16 seed or a low seed to beat a, a top seed. They just keep making shots, and we we were watching like, oh my gosh, they keep making shots, they keep making these layups. Usually, you think that dries up, like like Lipscomb against UNC. Lipscomb was making some shots early, but that dried up and and ended. Um, UNBC just kept making shots, nailing threes, slicing through uh, the defense, and getting like pretty easy looks at the basket and, and that just continued on and that was a big reason why it happened sorry sorry there Tommy. no you're exactly right and greg to another point we were talking about off the air i mean you got to get easy baskets in a game and a team like carolina or other teams or umbc against virginia i mean they're going to make layups and then they're going if they're consistently getting to the basket they're going to hit open shots most college players can but Virginia is not built to get an easy shot. Uh, they work it, work it, work it. But when you're down 13, 15, 17 points a game, but UMBC with their guards, they were either getting layups or wide open jump shots against the best defensive team that we've seen in quite some time. Uh, just a shocking upset. So let me ask you both this, and I'll ask you first, Ross. Biggest upset in sports or in college, but we'll start college basketball uh, that you've ever seen or ever heard of. Yeah. I mean, obviously the biggest college basketball upset just because it's never happened before. And it's on the biggest stage, the 16 to one. I mean, incredible, especially given that, I mean, UVA wasn't even, wasn't just the number one seed. They were the number one overall seed and a favorite to, to cut on the nets uh, before the injury to DeAndre Hunter. So given the stage, uh, the magnitude and, and just that, you know, kind of uh, the 16 to one, the image of that 16 to one uh, defeat, um, definitely the biggest college basketball upset. Um, I don't know about all of sports. I'm sure there's some, some crazy stories out there as well, but for sure. Greg, your opinion. I mean, I thought of Buster Douglas, Mike Tyson. I watched that in Granville Towers at Carolina back when that <laughs> happened. Uh, I remember Chaminade in Virginia. That was in the middle of the night. Uh, Ralph Sampson and the Virginia guys, I think some of them were sick during that game and uh, you know, hung over or whatever being out in Hawaii. Um, that's the one everybody compares it about. But as far as eyeballs on it, clearly the biggest college basketball upset. Uh, but where do you put it, Greg, in your pantheon of sports knowledge? Well, I think the you know, the benchmark for all upsets has got to be U.S. hockey, you know, back in what eighty, yeah. uh, I think that's what everybody kind of looks to. But the you know, the Virginia game against Chaminade, I mean, the backstory of that game is fascinating because, you know, as you mentioned, Tommy, a lot of those guys were sick. They had been in Tokyo, they had like a, a flight delay, so they got into Hawaii late. A lot of the guys were sick, had some GI issues, and so it was a big upset. But the backstory kind of explained it a little bit, even though it never should have happened, but you know, uh, there was a reason behind it. That wasn't necessarily you know, what happened last night. And so I think, yeah, I think this is the biggest college basketball upset um, that, that 
you know, I, I've ever heard. I mean, you know, App State, Michigan, uh, you can make, you know, a case in terms of football. That was a pretty big one, especially at the college level. Um, but, I mean, that was regular season. So, I mean, the fact that this is a, a national championship tournament, this this is way up there. Um, I don't know that it surpasses the, the hockey the hockey game, but I'll tell you the uh, the way this one played out was just phenomenal. And not and not that you the retrievers hit a last second shot. I mean, they absolutely pounded Virginia. First team to score over seventy against them this year, and I think it's Crazy. only one of a handful of times that, that Virginia has been beat by twenty in the last five years. Unbelievable. We're going to take a break. Come back. Talk about Carolina and the rest of that bracket and as well as the rest of the NCAA tournament. But we'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finance is made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. All right, Ross. Let's talk about Carolina's win over Lipscomb and sort of look ahead a little bit. You mentioned something in the first segment um, about shots drying up. If my memory serves, Lipscomb was four for eight from three early, and they were in the game, if not ahead. At finished seven of 28, and that's what normally happens in these early round ball games, but Carolina's defense, uh, I think they got the message maybe midway the first half that if they're going to play in this tournament, they've got to get the defense going. And they did that after that early run by Lipscomb. Yeah. They really locked down um, the guys that we were scared of with, with Lipscomb. Yeah, Garrison Matthews was a name that I'd pointed to 22 points per game um, coming into this one. And he was held to eight on three for 14 shooting. So, you know, going against bigger bodies like Kenny Williams and Theo Pinson proved to be an issue. And, uh, and obviously, the Tar Heels game plan for those guys, because they, they definitely, you know, they start hitting shots. You kind of start thinking, wow, this team can really shoot. They're not missing much. Um, but it, it, you know, obviously, UNC handled them and the offense got clicking. I think it was just another example of, of how great Theo Pinson is in terms of what he can do offensively and defensively and from an all-around standpoint he's becoming unc's uh most important player i think um you know surpassing barry and just how much how many things he how many ways he impacts the game you point to his stat line of 15 points 10 rebounds uh and seven assists i'm sure we'll dive into a little bit more but um defensively lock them down as a size differential once they put garrison brooks and sterling manley in there wasn't really anybody close to that size as well and, and like Roy always says, just a, a huge kind of difference in talent, ability, and athleticism. Um, and it's kind of good. I think leaving this game, my major takeaway is just it's good to get that first game out of the way. You're in the tournament now. You got the juices flowing. And now it's just kind of time to play basketball. I think it's always a little bit nerves about that first round game because you're you're a little hesitant. You don't know. You don't want to get that upset. So uh, now it's time to go. Uh, Five fifteen on Sunday for UNC against Texas A&M. Yeah, and I think I think it's important to note too that. This matchup set up very well for North Carolina. Lipscomb was a very poor defensive team, but yet they like to push tempo. They're not very big. They just have the capability of, of getting hot and, and making some shots. And while that last part may have frightened Carolina fans, 
because of UNC's defensive issues at times this year. Uh, it's rarely a good idea to try to run with Roy Williams. And if, you, if you're not very good <laughs> defensively uh, and North Carolina can score at will, uh, you, Carolina just has too many weapons. And we saw that on display. And once UNC did a good job of shutting down Matthews, I mean, there really wasn't a lot left for, for the uh, – I was going to say the Retrievers – for the Bisons. The Bisons. It's Bison. Bison. No S. It's, it, but they have an S on theirs, don't yes, they? Yes, they do. Absolutely they do. And I, yeah. uh, even I my wife great. was texting me. She doesn't pay attention to sports at all. She's like, they understand that's wrong, correct? So, <laughs> Yeah, I got a grammar police on Twitter when yeah. I said the Bison. But uh, let's talk about – Theo a little bit, you know, Sherelle, <laughs> Ross Sherelle's always said he's going to get a triple double. He came close yesterday and I saw your tweet about most important player on the team. And I voted for Theo because I, I think at this point it's pretty clear. He's the point guard for all intents and purposes and how he goes is how this team goes. I mean, 15, 10 and seven in 35 minutes. The guy keeps elevating, and Dewey yeah. talks about the Dewey talks it, about the finality of it all. He certainly recognizes his place at this point. Yeah, I put out a little Twitter poll you referenced there. I said who's UNC's most important player. I put the um, Joel Berry, Theo Pinson, Luke Van, Kenny Williams, and with 740 votes, Theo Pinson is is the top pick with uh, 54. percent I know obviously most of my followers are UNC fans. You kind of have an idea there. Joel Berry has 40. percent but yeah, I mean, it's funny you said that. I mean, he, I guess he is kind of becoming the, you know, one of the main, if not the main point guard and ball handler and distributor for UNC. Uh, him and Barry obviously kind of handling his roles in a, in a u- unique way for UNC. I think the biggest switch from what Barry's been able to do this year compared to, compared to previous seasons is he, he's getting the ball in his hands more. He's getting those touches. He's being able to create. Um, with the ball in his hands, and he can get into the lane so easy. He's just a, a different physical specimen in terms of just, you know, one or two dribbles and a move and then using his strength and body and size to to get into the lane. And once he's there, um, he knows, knows where to put the ball to rack up those assists. I, I can point to the two dunk assists to Manly, um, uh, Sterling Manley in, in the game against Lipscomb, which were nice. And then, you know, he's so crafty uh, as a shooter because he, he can use that strength and he's, he's long and, and it's pretty good at just getting there, getting in there and knocking down a layup. Uh, it's just a, a pretty effective game for him right now. We've seen what he can do against the zone too. So when you see faces a different time, a di- different type of, type of defense, um, he is a key playmaker there as well. We've seen what he can do against Syracuse and, and Duke recently against that zone. So he's a multifaceted, versatile player. That uh, is, if not, it is his production. And it's, it's, I think it's really special for him to put together this kind of senior year, no matter how things turn out in March. Greg, the starters played well for North Carolina. Luke May needs to get the shooting going. Uh, he struggled at most. But I think key in this next game against Texas A&M with their size, Brooks and Manley, are going to have to play a tremendous role, I believe, for Carolina to move on to the round of 16. Yeah, and I think the the one person that people may have not known a lot about, but if you watch the Providence game on Friday, uh, is Robert Williams. And he's a kid that you know last year probably would have been a lottery pick, at least borderline. Um, he's, he's a great athlete, 6'10", 240. 
he had a windmill dunk, kind of the, the seal of the victory. So a great, you know, just a, a great talent. He has not had a great year, uh, but he came to came to play in the second half against the Friars. Uh, and you put him alongside a uh, Tyler Davis, who's 6'10", 265. Now you're talking about two really big guys in the post. DJ Hogue is you know, 6'9", 220, small forward. So you know, similar in stature to, to Cam Johnson. So A&M has size, and um, they're – yeah, they're kind of middle of the road in terms of tempo. They, they, they'll run with you, uh, but they're not you know, overly fast. Very good defensively. Uh, just cannot shoot the ball very well. The, the reason they beat Providence is because they got red hot in the second half. I think they shot about 68%, which is, is not common for them. Uh, and then when you add in, they've got the, the other kid coming off the bench. Uh, Troca, I believe is his name. He's also 6'10". So they have a, a rotation there with, with three bigs. And so they're not going to go small. Uh, and so North Carolina is going to have to rely on uh, you know, Manley and Brooks to provide some minutes. And I, I think it's a good thing that both of those guys have continued to get better. Uh, we've seen the potential, and we're finally starting to see some some fruits of that effort. And it's, they're going to have to turn in a very good game combined at some point in this tournament if North Carolina wants to keep winning. It doesn't have to be every game but there will be certain matchups where they have to show up. And I think this game is one of them. Um, I think North Carolina can handle the Aggies as long as there's not a drop in production when Manley and Brooks come in. If they really struggle against the size and strength of Davis and Williams, uh, it could be problematic. But I, I think it's, it's very fair to, to circle those two guys as, as key components, especially off the bench for the Tar Heels, and especially with how Luke's been struggling. You remember, you know, Roy Williams at the beginning of the season says he needed his freshman big men, um, Brand Huffman included, Sony Manley, Garrison Brooks, to combine to kind of be one solid big man for UNC. And, you know, yesterday they had a double-double um, what, with what Brooks and Manley did with, I believe, 13 points and 11 rebounds. That kind of production is key. Um, Manley having 10 rebounds. I think it was the first person in, a, in, their, in their debut as a freshman to have a double double in, in something like 20, 30 years. I think since actually, since debut wise, since Henson and Harrison back in 2011 in terms of uh, double digit rebounds. But um, you can see the confidence with them. They're very different personalities. Manley's the affable, funny, very talkative, loquacious um, guy. And then Garrison Brooks is very stoic, you know, five to 10 word answers, very serious. We saw the seriousness come out. When he was asking, interview, um, answer our questions about um, Grayson Allen uh, and Duke, so we saw that kind of seriousness, that intensity, which I think will play well with UNC fans moving forward. But the potential of these two guys is incredible. I think they're the perfect kind of mix of size and strength that's going to have so much potential moving forward. And, and as they get to the weight room and develop, it's going to be huge for UNC the next couple of years. I don't, I don't see them leaving anytime soon. So we're looking at obviously three to four year players with them as well. But they'll play big. Uh, on Sunday, Greg, Cam Johnson, Kenny Williams, you know, they, they played well. Kenny Williams is getting his chance in the NCAA tournament. Uh, that first game, always good to, even though Roy Williams bristled at a question, I think, in the press conference about starting slow in the NCAA tournament, there's no question that a game like that, especially for a guy like Kenny Williams and Cam Johnson, really, to knock rust off to, get into the flow of the NCAA tournament. Cause like you said, the NCAA tournament is a different animal from anything they do 
especially for the upper class guys, because it's lose and go home forever if you're not careful. Uh, but just speak to Johnson and Williams and their impact, both against Lipscomb and moving forward. Well, I think kind of to that point and talking with Luke after the game, you know, he acknowledged that, hey, you know, you're playing in front of the home crowd. Uh, it is the start of the NCAA tournament. And so you're going to have butterflies early. And so I, I think everybody had that. And, I mean, you, you watch a lot of these games, and that happens in the opening minutes. Uh, and you just have to kind of adjust and get used to it and move on. And so uh, I don't think it's anything for anybody to be concerned with how sloppy UNC was early. If it, they hadn't turned it around, then that would have been a problem. But one of the reasons that they uh, they kind of stayed close to Lipscomb early, and I know the Bisons built a six-point lead, is because Cam Johnson made some shots early. And then in the second half, Kenny Williams makes shots. Um, and so this team has evolved from back in December really being, okay, if Barry and May don't have good games, they're not going to win, to now Kenny Williams and Theo Pinson are your two leading scorers in the postseason, in five postseason games. Uh, and I think Theo is the leading scorer over the last 12 or 14 games. Uh, and so what you're seeing is kind of this this evolution of this team to where now you have a lot of different guys that contribute. And that's the key. Uh, you, defensively, there's going to be some some highs and lows. But if they can score in bulk, um, you know, they have not lost when all, all five uh, – when five players have scored in double figures. I think they're 22-4 and four when Kenny, Luke, and Joel score in double figures. And then I think you're going to add Cam in there, and it's probably an even better record. So as long as they're getting balanced scoring, and Luke and Joel especially doesn't feel like they have to do everything, uh, this team can be very, uh, very productive offensively. And I think that's kind of the key. Uh, and to see Cam and Kenny both have good openers, I think that bodes well. All right, Ross. Uh, Carolina Texas A&M 515 on Sunday, tomorrow. Uh, but let's look at our brackets. Okay. <laughs> I think they're trashed. Uh, I think my Final Four is still alive. Uh, but your thoughts here um, in some other matchups across the country. I mean, UMBC, Kansas State, not one people expected. I think Kentucky's in the driver's seat in that little pod. Yeah. Uh, just go from there. Yeah, I think like you, I actually thought about it last night. Kentucky sets up for them to at least go to the lead eight, and with the talent they have, they could kind of turn on and clicking at the right time. Because you know, Arizona lost, Virginia lost. It's funny. Another thing to kind of point out off the topic here: the, the two coaches that you know, had to prove it in March, Tony Bennett and Sean Miller, are the two coaches that <laughs> had the, the huge upsets in the first round. The two guys that had to kind of get you know show that they could do something in the in the tournament for once. Other two coaches that lost. Um, I think it sets up well for Kentucky to get the lead eight. You know, no real big upsets or surprises in uh, in UNC's West region. Uh, obviously, Florida State beat Missouri. Not not really an upset, but the the higher seed there. Good ACC win for the Seminoles there. Um, uh, let's see what else here. You know, I think it sets up nice for Duke to kind of advance. Also with Syracuse winning there as well. Auburn had a little scare and they'll take on the Clemson kind of an Auburn Clemson little SEC. Uh, football battle there. But, uh, you know, there were a lot of really good games, really close games, but not a lot of upsets. Uh, Marshall did beat Wichita, uh, and they're going to face West Virginia there. But 
Um, yeah, going back to what UNC has to do, I do think they're, um, you know, obviously going to be favored over Texas A&M. I think they have a, a significant amount of advantages. The, the size is an issue. But think about what UNC's been able to do against Duke size. And I think Duke size is a lot more scary than Texas A&M size in terms of athleticism and just pure raw talent there. So um, watching Texas A&M play a little bit yesterday, just kind of struggling, struggling with um, – with Providence and that game, it seemed like no one really wanted to win. So I, I don't, I'm not too worried about UNC on uh, on Sunday. They are favored by six points. It's a little closer than they would expect, but um, should be a good game. And now it kind of turns on. Now it's kind of the games we have to really lock in and focus and uh, sit on your hands. Greg, uh, <laughs> same question on that. I mean, games I'll be looking at aside from the Carolina game, I think Michigan and Houston's intriguing but Marshall and West Virginia, now that's basically like state and Carolina playing in the NCAA tournament. Your thoughts on the rest of the field? Yeah, I think there are a lot of good games. It's interesting because we've had years where you've had a couple big upsets and then a lot of blowouts. And you, you know, well, there were still upsets. And then you have games or years like this and you know, Virginia game notwithstanding, but where you have a lot of very competitive games, but not so many upsets. And I know we've had a few, like you said, with, with Marshall. Uh, but Marshall's a fun team to watch. Uh, they, they, they are not afraid to, to jack up shots. We know West Virginia has a tendency of choking under Bobby Huggins. And we saw it in the Big 12 title game against Kansas. So that for sure will be a fun one. Um, yeah, and I agree. I, I think Houston-Michigan will be a, a good one. I think that'll be a tough game. Uh, in the Sweet 16 for for whoever wins between UNC and and, uh, and A&M. And I also think uh, you, you look at what is going to come out of the South. Um, yeah, I do think Kentucky bo- you know, sets up well to get to the lead eight, but Tennessee's playing well. Cincinnati's playing well. Uh, I had Cincinnati coming out of that bracket, and so uh, I think you know both those teams can can will not be afraid of the Wildcats, and they'll be aggressive whoever gets there to play them. So, a lot of fun things that to continue to continue to watch, and then you know, in in the West, you know I don't think Ohio State was very impressive in their win over South Dakota State. Gonzaga squeaked by Greensboro. Um, you know, Xavier looked pretty good, but Florida State also looked good against Missouri, and they put that game away early. So a, a lot of a lot of options still in play, uh, and that shouldn't make it fun, especially in the West, because I think there are teams that when they play at their best can do some damage, but there's also been a lot of inconsistency uh, in that particular bracket for those teams. And here's a uh, – speaking of A&M, I'll switch this back to the game. You guys know their record since Christmas? No. They are 10 and 11 since Christmas. Wow, they make uh, Oklahoma look proud. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh that's that's interesting. These yeah, just looking across, I see only one team scored over a hundred uh in the first round. It's just it's been a weird tournament um all around, but Carolina's got their chance to you know, of all the shake ups across the tournament, the West is pretty much chalk thus far, so It'd be fun to watch the rest of it, guys. I know y'all are busy. I know y'all have got a lot of work to do in Charlotte today and tomorrow. Game time, 5-15 Sunday, Carolina and Texas A&M. Ross, Greg, appreciate it. Thanks, Tommy. See you, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com. 
the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.